Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. I always leave my mic off until the last minute because I really don't want you hearing me sing, honestly. <laughs> kind of scares me a little bit. I wasn't gifted with that uh, beautiful voice that some of you all have, but uh, man, that was a really good song. And I love, I heard this morning someone came up to me after the messages and said, yeah, I love it when God ties things together. I think someone in their Sunday school class this morning had been talking about Ephesians 4 and studying it. I didn't know that, but that's where we went in our text for this morning's message. This evening, uh, I'm going to preach a message entitled, Putting My Problems in Perspective. That was amazing. And we didn't talk before the service, did we? I had no idea what you were going to sing. That was amazing, though, how the Lord just ties these things together. We're going to be in Psalm 63 tonight, and I will be as brief as possible. I know that the uh, snowpocalypse is upon us. Has it started snowing yet outside? It has started. Somebody said no, somebody said yes. Either way, they're putting salt down. I saw that. So I will be, uh, you know, as brief as possible so we can all get home safely and all that sort of thing. Can I say thank you for coming out tonight? I appreciate that, and I appreciate you uh, you know, braving whatever weather there might be to uh, be in church tonight. Thank you so much. We're going to be in Psalm 63. We'll read the whole psalm. It's not a very long one, only 11 verses. And then I want to look at this thought, putting my problems in perspective. Verse 1 says this. We'll read all the way through the psalm and we'll ask the Lord to help us tonight. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with, mar uh, with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, my, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, they shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped." Again, tonight I want to look at this idea of putting our problems in perspective. Let's ask God to help us tonight. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for what, uh, Lord, has been accomplished in this ministry today. And God, many people have served on this campus today. And God, we rejoice in that. We're thankful for that. Uh, God, a church cannot move forward without uh, willing servants that serve faithfully. And God, thank you for those who have served faithfully today. God, maybe someone taught a class or, or sang up front or maybe someone uh, cleaned a bathroom or someone helped someone to their car. I don't know what the case might be, but God, as long as it was done for your glory and in your name, uh, God, it's to be rejoiced in. It's to be 
thanked. And God, we're so appreciative of what's happened here today. God, I pray you'd bless the message this evening. I pray that it would be your message. I pray that it would be power from your word. And God, I pray you bless us and give us something special that will help us in our lives. Help us to make practical application tonight. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Putting my problems in perspective. This psalm, if you look in your Bible, if it has the little headers on it over each psalm, it probably says something to this effect. A psalm from David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Does anybody's Bible say something like that? Okay. David is in the wilderness of Judah. And there's some, there's some uh, ideas of why exactly he was in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, some think the circumstances surrounding Psalm 63 was when David was fleeing from Saul. In, uh, in 1 Samuel 23 and 24, he's on the run from King Saul as he's chasing him for his life. Some think that that was the context of what's going on when David wrote this psalm. Uh, others would say that this psalm coordinates with 2 Psalm. Uh, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel uh, 23 and 24, where David is being chased by his son Absalom, who's trying to overthrow his kingdom, who's leading a revolution of sorts against King David in his elderly years. I'm not sure exactly what was going on, but the case is David is not where he is usually. He's in the wilderness of Judah. He is displaced from his home. He is facing a problem. He's in a difficult time. He's in a storm of sorts, like was just saying about. There is just instability and difficulty surrounding David in his life right now. And that's the context that he comes to Psalm 63 with. Whatever's going on, his life is not fair. The conditions that he's facing are not fair. The people are probably not fair. He's been betrayed, likely, either by King Saul, uh, whom he trusted and served faithfully, or by his own son, his own family, his own flesh and blood. I don't know what the case might be, but either way, you see David is in a difficult situation in life. I think we could all say we've been in a difficult situation in life. Maybe you're in a difficult situation right now. Maybe you're facing a predicament. Maybe there is a storm that you're working your way through right this moment. David can relate. He can give us some truths about how he dealt with his problems. I think the key here of David properly dealing with his problems was the perspective with which he looked at his problems. You see, all throughout this passage, you see hope. You see joy, you see praise, you see rejoicing. Well, how can that be when David is right smack dab in the middle of a problem? I believe it's his, pers his perspective, his godly perspective on what is going on. Tonight I want to look at some responses that will help us handle our problems. How did David handle his predicament? Number one, I see in verse number one, it starts out the whole psalm very clearly. Verse one, oh God, thou art my God. And number one, I believe David, to deal with his problem properly, to put it in the right perspective, he embraced his relationship with his God. Number one is he embraced his relationship with his God. Uh, not a God of someone else, not an idealistic God, this is his God. He, he's embracing the fact that when I am going through a problem, when I'm facing difficulties, when I'm in the middle of my storm, I have my God to turn to. 
Uh, not just the God of my fathers, not just the God that I've heard about, not just the God of my church or my pastor or my Sunday school teacher. No, no, no. I'm going to latch on to my relationship with my God to help me with my problem. You see, you might have personal problems in life, but you also have a very personal Savior, don't you? You have one that loves you. You have a God, a Father, who intimately wants to know you and who wants to make himself known to you. You have a God who has been faithful in your life who can be relied on. And, and David is saying this, I realize I have problems. I realize I'm facing difficulties. I realize that nothing seems fair in life. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever felt like nothing's fair in life before? I have felt that way before. I think David could easily say, life is not fair. But how can he still rejoice? How can he still have hope and joy and praise God? It's because he focuses on the fact of, look, all of that turmoil is going on around me, but I have my God and my relationship with him and my reliance on his faithfulness to me. You see, David had a personal connection with God. Another thought along these lines of him embracing his relationship with God, in verse number one, he says, early will I seek thee. Now, I don't know if this is early in the morning or early on in the situation. There's, there's commentators that conflict opinions on this, but I don't think you can really go wrong in either direction. Whether you're talking about early in your day, getting your day started with the Lord, before you get into the, the mire and the problems of your day-to-day -day routine, getting alone with God, I don't think that's a problem. I think that's a good thing. Also, early on in a situation, before you try to exhaust all your own resources, before David tried to exhaust all of his own uh, strength and wisdom and might, he turned to God and said, God, I have a problem and I need you to help. You know, you don't have to have it all figured out in your problems. You don't have to go to God with the solutions. You go to God with the problem, and he provides the solutions. I think sometimes I think that I need to come to God and say, okay, God, here's your multiple choice. Pick what you're going to do. You ever feel like that? I, I sometimes am guilty of that. All right, God, if you're going to fix this problem, it's got to happen this way, this way, or this way. Because logically, that's what's going to work. And then God says, no, I'm going to pick D, none of the above. I'm going to do my own thing and show myself strong in that way. When we're going through a problem of sorts, we need to embrace our relationship with God. We need to seek after him. We need to spend time with him. You need to draw off of your relationship with God when you face a problem. Number two, how else did David handle this predicament? Well, as we move from verse 1 into verse number 2, he not only embraced his relationship with God, he acknowledged his need for God. Number 2, he acknowledged his need for God. You see, in verse number 1, he says, My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. You see, David says, not only should I go to God, I need God. I must have God. Not only do I think it's a good idea to go to God with my problems, I must go to God with my problems. Uh, not only do I think he can, but he will. 
provide. You see, water is used in here as an illustration. He says, my soul thirsteth, my flesh longeth when it's dry and thirsty. You see, water, yes, there's a desire. If you're thirsty, you desire something to drink, right? But ultimately, water is not a desire. Water is a need. You must have water. You will die without water, correct? You will. David is admitting here, not only do I want your help, God, I must have your help. And not only do I think it's a good idea for you to help me, God, I cannot make it through without your help. I have to have it. I think when we face our own problems in life, at least for me, a lot of times I like to try to figure things out myself and bring God into my solutions. When God wants me to acknowledge I must have you, God. You are the answer. I must have you in this difficulty right now. David acknowledges his overwhelming need for God. There's a lot of things, and we talked about this this morning a little bit. There's a lot of things that we can substitute our need for God with. Even, even good things we might try to substitute our dependence upon God. You know, when you're going through a problem, let's say it's a financial problem. We've probably all been there, right? Anybody ever needed more money? Well, you, you all are set. Nobody in here needs more money. Well, all right, well, look at that. Nobody needs more money in here. If you've ever come upon financial hardships, what is the first solution? The first solution is make more money. How do you make more money? You work more right? Or you sell some things or whatever. We might look at a problem like finances and say, well, I know how to fix this problem. I'll just work some overtime. Uh, I'll, I'll just maybe sacrifice on my family or my church or whatever to maybe make some overtime money so that I can pay those bills. I, I might do these other things that I think will solve the problem. And you know what? They might solve the problem a little bit, but you know, what if you run into a financial situation that's bigger than your own strength? And then you really actually understand your need for God. You see, our need for God, when we come into a problem, he ought to be our first line of defense. He ought to be our first place that we go, understanding that there are other things that might even be okay, that might help solve the problem, but ultimately, it's up to God. Ultimately, your help comes from the Lord. Ultimately, your reliance is on Him. Ultimately, your finances don't come from your job, they come from your God, right? He gives you the strength to go to work. He gives you the wherewithal to do those things. He gives you a job. Your job can be gone tomorrow, right? Your health can be gone tomorrow. Your strength can be gone tomorrow. And suddenly, your ability to handle that financial problem is no more. And then God says, I have your attention. Now you actually understand that you need me. Well, it wasn't at that moment that you needed God. You actually needed him all along. You just recognized it then. I want to encourage you, when you face any kind of problem, don't make God your last resource. Make him your first. Go to him first. God, I need you. My God, my personal Savior, I need your help. 
And yes, I want to do everything in my own power. I, I want to be responsible. Yes, I do. But God, ultimately, I understand that provision and help comes from you. And I want to acknowledge that because I need you, my God, to intervene in this situation. I believe David embraced his relationship with God. I think he understood his need for God, and that need went to a desire. You see, he doesn't just need God, he longs for God. I hope your relationship with your Savior is such that you don't just keep him in arm's length, and when you need him, you pull him in close and say, God, I need you. I hope that you're already close with him, and when you need him, he's right there. And I understand God is always with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I understand that. But I hope you don't treat your relationship with God like a genie. God, when I need you, I'll come get you. I'll rub the lamp and, hey, can you solve my problem? Okay, put you back on the shelf. I hope you don't do that. I hope your relationship with God is such that when you need him, you've already been longing for him. Because what you're actually longing after, what David was longing after, by the way, was not just a solving of a problem. He was longing for God himself. You realize when you long for God himself, when you seek him, not just what you can get from him, the problems start to be solved by God's own wisdom. I think sometimes we treat our relationship more like, I just need God, not I'm longing for God. There's a difference. They go together, yes, but there's a little bit of a difference. I want to have a relationship with God where I am close with him. I acknowledge my need for him, but I want him, not just what he gives me. Have you ever had one of those relationships where you feel like you're just being used? You ever have one of those relationships where you feel like you're only somebody's friend because you keep giving them stuff? Whether it's your time, finances, resources, like they're only there to get something from you and when you stop giving them stuff, they disappear? You know what I'm talking about. I don't want to be that kind of friend to God. I don't want to be the kind of relationship with God where, God, when I need you, I'm going to come get you and you give to me and now that you've given to me, I'm done with you. No. I want a close, personal walk with God because what I really, truly need in my life is not God's money to solve my financial problem. What I really, truly need in my life is God, period. Yes, can he solve our problems? Absolutely. Is, does he own the cattle on a thousand hill? Absolutely. Does, does he hold everything in the palm of his hands? Yes. But ultimately, you know what we ought to desire and what we truly need is God himself. Get David acknowledged, I have a personal God and I need him and I even want him, not just what he can provide for me. You know, I think problems have a very real way of targeting our hearts. Because what they do a lot of times, they reveal what's already in our hearts. I think when a problem comes on the scene, when a difficulty, when a trial is faced, it magnifies what's already in your heart. It exacerbates whether I have a relationship with God 
or not. And by relationship, I am not necessarily talking about salvation. I believe we would probably mostly in this room say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe most of you would say that. When I'm talking about your relationship with him, I'm talking about your day-in, day-out fellowship with him, your walk with him, your talk with him. When we have a trial that we face, a problem of sorts, I think it highlights, was I praising God all along because of God? Or was I praising God when things were good because God made things good? Does that make sense to everyone? When you come in and worship on Sunday or worship throughout the week, are you worshiping an almighty God because of who he is and his character? Or are you just worshiping God because, God, my bills are paid, my kids are good, our health is good, the car's running fine, the furnace got fixed, God, you're worthy. But can you be like David when he's on the run for his life and say, God, you are wonderful. Because what I'm actually seeking after is not the solution to my problem. I'm actually seeking you. I think sometimes I'm guilty of wanting more from God than I want God. And I believe David highlights here, look, when you really want to put your problem in the proper perspective, when you really want to deal with a situation the right way, you'll acknowledge your need for God and you'll want God not just what he gives you. Thirdly, I see this. I see David's response to God's provision. In verses 3 through 8, I'm not going to read them all, but I want to tell you what's in verses 3 through 8. David acknowledges that God has provided so much. Now, can I tell you this before I get into this? Can I tell you this? God is good no matter what he does. Do you believe that? God is good. God is good to you. If God never did a single thing again in your life that you qualify as good, God would still be just as good as he has always been. Does that make sense? Because it is his character to be good. He can be nothing but good. He can do nothing but good. So everything that he allows in your life is ultimately what? Good. Romans 8, 28. He works all things together for good. Right? He is a good God. He works in a good way. All he can ever do is good. All he can ever be is good. And I think David understood this because he's going to rejoice in what God has provided for him. But I want you to understand this. You ought to rejoice in what God's done for you, but don't separate that from who God is. Because if God stops doing for you what you want him to do, and you equated his goodness with the things that he does for you, you'll stop rejoicing. And that happens to me. That's happened to me. Where I equate God's goodness with circumstances. And when the circumstances go down, my view of God went down. When in reality, God was always good. Always. And David here is to, he's reflecting on the character of God, but now he's even reflecting on what good God has done. God is good by definition, not because of what he does, but because of who he is. But because of who he is, he does what is good. 
He's always good and he always does good. Well, what did God do for David? And I want you to think, am I responding to what God has provided in my life already the right way? Let's look here. In verse number three and four, I see praise is being given. My lips shall praise thee. I will lift up my hands in thy name. He gives God praise for past provision. In verse number five, I see satisfaction. He's satisfied with God and what he's done. Hey, are you satisfied with what God has done in your life? And and by the way, I am not saying complacent. That's not what I'm saying. We talked this morning about growing in Christ. You should always desire to grow in Christ. I'm saying this. Are you satisfied with what God has allowed in your life? Are you content with whatever that thing is? Can you say, whatsoever state I'm in, I'm content? Uh, Can you be like Paul when he asked for the thorn to be removed three times and God says, no, but my grace is sufficient for you? And therefore, Paul decided to glory in Christ. Are you satisfied with God himself and what he's done? I see this in verse number six. I see peace. I see peace. Upon the bed, in the night watches. You know, when you go through problems, anybody ever lost sleep over problems? I have. But you know, when you rest in your Savior, you can have peace in those problems. I'm not telling you that you won't ever lose sleep again. I'm not telling you that you should just throw caution to the wind. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is when we acknowledge who God is, and decide to rejoice in who he is, we'll understand, wow, God, you have done so much for me. You've been so good to me. I can have peace in whatever's going on. I see in verse number seven, I see confidence. Confidence. He says this, because you've been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. David is reflecting on, God, you have done so much. You have been so much for me. I can have confidence moving forward in this situation that you're going to get me through. Look, our hope is in the character of God, but it also helps to remember what God has done in the past. Have Have you ever gone through a difficult situation and God's brought you through? I think everybody could say yes. Think back to that. Next time you come across a difficult situation, yes, consider the character of God and how good he is in your relationship. But in that meditation time, go back and think about the last time God brought you through something. And just pause and rejoice. God, I know I can trust you this time because I trusted you this time and this time and this time. And you haven't let me down yet. You've been faithful every time. Why would I start doubting you now? You've always been good. The last thing I see is in his responses to God's provision is in verse number eight. He's he's decided to pursue God even harder. That's a wonderful to me. That's encouraging. That's challenging to me. David, after he's rejoiced in his relationship with God and he's reflected on God's goodness and he's reflected on the provisions of God, he decides, verse number eight, my soul followeth hard after thee. Look, 
God, you have been so good and you've been so faithful. I'm going to dig in even further and I am going to just, I'm going to put it all on you. Uh, God, I'm just going to trust you completely. Whatever it is, God, you're good. I'm, I'm just going to pursue you because I know how good you've been to me. I know your character. David locks into the character of God and he says, I want to follow hard after you. This word follow hard, it's the same Hebrew word that's used in Ruth 1.14 uh, when it says, and they lifted up their voice and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. She embraced her. She took ownership of her. She forsook all and clung to her. It's the same word in Genesis 2.24 when a man is supposed to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and become one flesh. It's saying this, I'm forsaking all of that. I'm forsaking all of my thoughts. I'm forsaking all of what I can do. I'm forsaking all of my own strength and my own wisdom and my own logic. And God, I'm going to give up on all that because I'm just going to grab onto you. God, when I don't understand the situation, when it doesn't make sense, when I can't handle it, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reject all of my own strength and wisdom. And God, I just want you. I want your wisdom. I want your understanding, God. That's where we need to be in our problems. Putting aside all else and seeking him. David is stating here that because of God's goodness in his life, he can forsake anything and everything else and be fully satisfied with God himself. David is saying, I can give up really anything and be satisfied with my Savior. Look, that is a bold statement. Can you make that statement tonight? You'd really have to do some soul searching, I think, on that one. God, if you took away everything precious to me that I qualify as good, would I still praise you? Would I find peace in who you are? Could I be like Job and say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the spirit that's seen here. And when we do that, it helps us understand that the problem that I'm facing, look, it's temporal. It'll all fall away. The one thing that's eternal is our God. It's my relationship with him. My last thought for the night, the last action that I believe David had here. Number one, he embraced his relationship with God. He took ownership that it was his God. Number two, he acknowledged his need for God, and that eventually turned into a longing for God. How wonderful. He responded to God's provision in praise. He was satisfied. He had peace. He had confidence. And he decided to pursue God even more. The last one, number four, is he sought protection in God. He sought his protection in God. Verses 9 through 11, allow me to read those. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king 
shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. David acknowledges that there is opposition. He's facing opposition. Can we just put it out on the table tonight that there will be problems in life? There is going to be opposition. There will be difficulties. There will be trials and storms of all sorts of, of, uh, of fashion. Uh, they might be family ones. They might be financial. They might, they might be health. They might be uh, relational. They could be all kinds of problems that will come in life. Uh, some of them self-induced. <laughs> some of them God just allows to come into our lives for no real understanding reason. But there will be opposition. There will be problems. There will be difficulties. And David understands this, so he says, if there is going to be opposition, which there will, then I must rely on the one to fight my battle who can actually win. You see, we as humans are very quick to fight our own battles, are we not? We like to be in control, don't we? I think a lot of times we mistakenly think that our lives are in our control. Now, I'm not saying there's not responsibility for choices. There are, right? There is is responsibility for what you choose to do in your life. I understand that. But I think we believe in this illusion of control of our lives when ultimately our lives are not our own. Twofold, actually. God created your life, right? He's the giver and taker of life. And then my Bible teaches me that if you're saved, he purchased you with a price. Your life is not your own. It's ultimately his to do with as he sees fit. Uh, That's that's the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. God is allowed to do whatever he wants with my life, whenever he wants, however he wants, however he wants, why ever he wants, just because. Because he's God. And he doesn't owe me an explanation of it. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? So many times I hold my life so tight-fisted. This is my life. I'm in control. And really I'm not. I ought to just go ahead and understand that ultimately my life is, is God's. To do with as he pleases. And I ought to just surrender to it and say, God... There's going to be problems in life, but this life is yours anyway. I'm going to turn it all over to you. Whatever you see fit. God, God, if you ultimately, if you want to take my health, it's yours to take. We don't, we don't like to think like that, but it's the truth, isn't it? God, here's my life. If you want it, it's yours to take. It's hard to say. It's hard to think. God, God, here's my family. If you want them, they're, they're yours to take. God, here's my money. If you want it, it's yours to take. God, here's my home. If you want it, it's yours. God, anything in my life is ultimately yours. And that's why David can say, God, you are going to fight my battles because, God, it is your life, not mine. We are so quick to fight our own battles. When really, when we face opposition, when we face difficulties, when we face problems of any sort, our first go-to should be God. God, would you... Intercede. God, would you fight my battle? God, would you be the solution to my every single problem? My desire is that I let God fight every battle that comes into my life. 
that I let God solve every problem that comes into my life. You see, some problems are ones that God specifically brings in. Some problems are other, what we would call enemies. David is facing a very real enemy here. He's facing people who are literally trying to kill him. I don't think any of us have that probably going for us right now. Probably not. I hope not anyway. If you do, then you should go see somebody who can help you on that one. But we all have problems. We all have probably people who are problematic people. I wouldn't call them enemies necessarily. We probably have people that we deal with that are difficult. And a lot of times as people who want to be in control of our own lives, you know what we like to do with people who are problems? We like to give them grace and love them, right? (laughs) No, we don't. That's what we ought to do. You know what we like to do with those people? We like to put them in their place. We like to give them the what for. We need to tell them off. We need to get something off our chest and let them have it. Look, whatever battle you're facing, whatever problem you're facing, I would encourage you, let God fight that battle. Let God do what he believes is right. And I'm not saying you should just not do anything in life ever. That's not what I'm trying to get across here. But what I am trying to get across is this. Your first line of defense should be God, not you. When any problems enter into your life, it shouldn't be your wisdom or your strength or your power or your might or your mind that solves that problem. It ought to be God. He ought to be your first one you go to. Tonight I want to challenge you. I'm sure you're facing some kind of problem. I'm sure there's some kind of difficulty in your life. I don't know what it is, but I doubt everything is perfect in every person's life in this room. Whatever problem you're facing... Would you first and foremost embrace your God? Go to Him with your need. Rejoice in who He is and what He's done for you. And then just leave it in His, leave it in his lap. Leave it on Him to fight your battle for you. Trust Him that He can actually take care of it much better than you can take care of it. Tonight I want to challenge you. Whatever problem you're facing, would you please recognize God for who He is And allow him to take care of your problems. Let's bow for prayer tonight. Father, I thank you for this message. And God, I believe it was the one that you would have for tonight. God, I thank you for tying in the song with this message. Because God, I believe that was your orchestration. I believe that's something that you wanted us to focus on tonight. Is that we have problems. We have difficulties. We have opposition in life that we face. Every single one of us. And God, it's our role as a follower of Christ to deal with these problems the right way. God, I want to follow after you. God, when I face a problem, I want to be turning to you first, not last. God, too often in my own life, I use you as a last resort when really I ought to come to you first. God, our challenge tonight is this, that in the middle of our problem, we go to you. We embrace you. We love you. We seek after you. We worship you. And we submit to you whatever you have for that specific situation.
And God, I pray tonight for that person who is dealing with a very difficult situation in life. God, I don't know the circumstances of what's going on in this church. God, I don't know the people and their problems, but you do. And God, I pray for that heart that's very heavy tonight. I pray for that one who's been dealing with something for maybe a very long time. God, I pray that they would find their strength, their peace, their joy in you. Maybe it's been a long time since they've been able to have joy because of this situation. I pray you give them a renewed joy because of who you are, not because of their circumstance. God, you never change, but our circumstances do. Help us to anchor our hope and our joy and our peace in the unchanging God that we love and serve. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.